body is ready. Hello and welcome to the Carbotrage Podcast, episode 295 with Ryan's ready body. Yep. Why do you have to say that twice? <laughs> well, I said it once when we went live, and I saw that Eric hadn't clicked record yet, so I said it the second time. Okay. So everybody could hear it. Mm. <laughs> anyway, hi Ryan. The, the delivery was better Hello. the first time. <laughs> well, I heard it, yes. and that's really that's, that's the most, the most important, important thing. Part. So. Uh, all right, before we dig into anything super fancy, uh, looks like you have a yingling. I am actually drinking a carbonated soft drink because I am not feeling super with it today. I thought I saw a Sprite. I'm drinking root beer. Noise. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that... I'm actually kind of happy. Not that you're feeling ill, but, like, not ill, but under the weather. I don't know what the hell's going on with yeah, the world. Because, oh, like... Okay. I thought, I was like, oh, maybe I just overworked myself and I gave myself a cold. But no, literally everyone at the mill who I haven't seen in a week is like... No, I was <laughs> I was, I was like, like oh. that yesterday. Yeah. So, or not yesterday, but uh, last weekend. It was. I think it's the earth preparing for fall and it's like, nah. I mean, I'm pretty much ready for that at this point. This yeah. summer was not my it's favorite thing hot. ever. It's too hot. Way too hot. So anyway, patreon.com forward slash carbitrage on this super duper fun little website we've got three open-ended levels of support starting at just a buck a month for content consumers like you here's a formality based ice producer it's like us i'm sorry that is a ford model t with a giant saw blade on the back where yeah, the axle it's a ford model t based ice saw does that still have the banjo rear end i uh, know the banjo rear end is now a nice saw well yeah but it goes engine directly to saw how does it, because it's changed vectors, or like directions. Uh, it looks like it goes Does it just to, have like a bevel gear? Oh, it does have the banjo rear end, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to, it's and perfect they just for replaced, that, right? they replaced a wheel with a saw blade. Well, it's I, one wheel drive, now it's one yes. saw blade drive. I have a friend who's at a vintage uh, threshing show, which is, boy howdy, those are a lot of fun. I believe that. And usually they're, I feel like. You have to have a multi-purpose event, too. Like, a threshing show has got, like, truck pulling and shit like that at the end of the day, too. It's not, not necessarily. I mean, it's just basically, like, Machinery Hill at the Minnesota State Fair, but, like, Very bigger. Nice. I did go through that. I always like walking through the tractors. Oh, I always go with Darren, and we always wait for them to start up the big guy. The big uh, Flower City dude. The kerosene tractor. Oh. I, the uh, giant tractor that's the size of a building. Yeah. I didn't know that was kerosene. Yeah, it's kerosene. They started up all the time. There's actually a younger kid that was starting. He was like maybe like 18. I think the old guy that used to do it died. Yes, I'm pretty so sure he did. morbid. But yeah, probably. Yeah. But old people do do that. Yeah. But it's nice that there's actually kids taking this stuff over. It's not oh, yeah. another old guy. It's like some kid that actually knows his stuff. I I'm just, in. I've decided that I really need to get a stationary hit-and-miss engine for some purpose in my backyard. I was going to say, what could you benefit from driving with a stationary hit-and-miss engine? Well, I'm thinking home? I could do, I can get a mulcher. Because mm -hmm. so much, you know, I have that big tree, and I always have sticks and stuff. Sure. Some mulch well, stuff. We could get a wood chipper in case yeah. Steve Buscemi comes rolling around. True. I mean, you got to be ready for guests. I think I think a hit and miss wood chipper would be pretty great. That would be actually pretty great. You would need a they had a flywheel, um, but bit a hit no and miss, uh, or they had a uh, not even a hit and miss, just a gas powered washing machine. Hell yes, they were supposed yep. to put in your house, and it had an extremely yep. long exhaust <laughs> tube. Pipe. Yeah, that no. just went outside. I think the original Maytags were yeah. Gas. That's exa exactly yeah. what it was. It was a 1920s Maytag with a gas engine. That's so fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that. That's <laughs> was it operating at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
they I've were never actually, actually seen one run. Yeah, they were actually running it and like actually like washing things inside of it. Like rags, the oil rags. The old guy that they, used to do it. The one offering to, as a service for sweaty shirts at the fair. No. <laughs> the old guy that used to do it as a gimmick used to have like a really obnoxious sized pair of bra and panties that made me extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but this year they did not have that. So even more sure evidence that this guy died. I see. Yep. Is it, it, yeah, it's all owned by one dude. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> and the yeah. estate just is like, mm, nah. We're gonna do it a little different. Yeah. I wonder hey, how they transport. Sorry, that huge no. tractor. It's got to be way too tall to like fit. I imagine they just drive down the highway. It would no. hit bridges though. That probably thing. okay. But I mean, it's in such good shape. I don't yep. Know. All right. They just have it. They have a, They have a route. All right. So uh, we have a Patreon, and it is, starts at how much? At uh, just a dollar a month. A dollar a month, and that gets you. Well, our undying gratitude, but and essentially, us beer. Us beer. Correct. And what's the Hosting URL? costs as well. Patreon.com forward slash garbage trash. There you go. Done. All right. So I want to talk about that. I, yeah. Yep, perfect. Did that. Uh, I couldn't Why remember. Did you do it? Because I couldn't remember. That's anyway. Right. Now, um, now people really know. I have a miniature topic. Well, that, lay it on me. Uh, VinFast. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I love that I've seen so much posted about like the few VinFests that are actually running around in the I States. Guess I got so excited because I thought there was a VinFast behind me the other day. It turns out it was just a key and I was pissed. I've never been more let down in my life. <laughs> you are probably unique yeah. in that um, well, reaction. I had previously, uh, so last week I had invested in, in VinFast. I remember. at um, I think I invested at like $17 a share. And then it went up to like 60 or something. And I sold it because I'm like, mm, I don't have that much faith in the company. <laughs> 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 and then it cratered. Very good. To like Thirteen dollars. Well, so I can buy lot. back in. Yeah, With I'm, not, I'm not going to. I'm gonna, I put a put on. I'm, I'm sure they're going to go below ten. <laughs> oh, puts are great. I love puts. Let's short some VinFast. Yeah, let's do it. Um, oh my god. Oh my god. Is that you? Just want to that was it. I just wanted to okay. talk about that. Perfect. That that's was great. yeah. That, that that's something that happened with VinFast. They like people found out and like like it's like fine because a lot of people were like this is silly and then like the stock price started going up and people were like started hearing about like yeah this is actually the owner's like passion project they're go- not going anywhere did and, it uh just get listed or something in the u.s yeah. exchange okay yeah that makes like, like over summer All yeah right. gotcha. and it was very funny that wall street bets found out and then they it, it went through the roof and then cratered <laughs> so that's awesome i gotta love that you know giant companies are pretty much at the whim of a subreddit yep mm-hmm. i love that <laughs> Uh, anyway, another fun story. Toyota yes. built rebuilt their first racer from the 1950s. Very cool. And so this is a Toyopet. That actually is what it says. It's Toyopetto. Isn't that, wasn't that a terrible vehicle? Uh, it was uh, their first attempt at making a passenger car. So not I mean, it wasn't that great. bad. Okay. But, I mean, like, it wasn't ideal. Okay. It had Babbitt bearings. Ah. Uh, I do remember we've talked about the Toyota yeah. several times. Yeah. In, the, in that era, they that. had Babbitt bearings. So the Toyota eventually got good. Um, but this is really incredible, uh, the story behind this, because they built this as a racer when like the United States, like in 1952 in the United States was still occupying Japan. Yeah. And they had to have approval to do just about anything and they didn't have approval. So they just made this and then they're like, well, cool. What are you going to do with it? And they're like, Hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> dude, they couldn't dri- do anything. Drive with it. it. Yeah. <clears throat> it basically, it served as a test platform for like their engines and stuff. But this, uh, had been missing since the fifties. And, 
this wasn't even like known to the head of Toyota's museum department that this card ever existed. Oh, had never heard of this. Gotta love wartime uh, communication laws. Yeah, and so uh, it turns out, yeah, they found it, um, and it's actually their oldest racer that they ever had because previously it was a '57 Toyota Pet Crown that did the mobile gas trial in Australia, which is a 19-day, 10,500-mile. A single stage rally race around the entire circumference of Australia. Uh, yeah, I thought that was just the distance and time it takes to go to like a grocery store in Australia. No, it's around. I, I don't think it's the entire circumference, but I think it was like. Well, the roads are awful, so you probably yeah, can't get around. No, I'm there. pretty sure it was like it was like like Sydney to Perth via Melbourne, like oh all gosh. the way around. Yeah. yeah, Sydney to Perth, just you have to fly or take a boat, like this, or just drive your oh. 1957 Toyota. Um, Did this still have the Babbitt bearing engine in it? So, yes, I'm getting to that. All right, fine. Um, so, yeah, this had not even been heard of by uh, Naoki uh, Nunogaki. I had never read his name until now. Um, I see that. And, and so, yeah, he's the head of the Toyota Automobile Museum right now. Previously, um, he was like he was one of the engineers that designed like the Alteza the Lexus RX Harrier and the Scion XA slash IST. So like he was like the like early two thousands era Toyota. He was one of the guys that was one. He was one of the engineers behind those cars. I gotcha. Um, I mean the first gen RX three hundreds held up so well. But yeah, so the he heard about it because Akio Toyota had heard that this car had existed. Not in Akio Toyota had never heard about it. Akio Toyota is like, we need to make another one of these. This is insane. And so they started making one, and then they found one. Oh, how many did they originally make? I Two. Thought it was, oh, okay. Um, they started making one, and then they found one. Yeah. Okay, got it. So with the one that they have, um, they basically had to re-engineer most of the rotating assembly of the engine. Because if you scroll down, I actually show you like the engine and transmission. Um it was based oh, off a, toy, a 1949 Toyo Pet SD, which is like basically a glorified taxi. That's the car. Mm. Jan, if you look at the Toyo Pet X. Yes, it's one of the cutest cars. It's very good. And then, uh, so stubby. Yeah, so uh, Russ had like eaten away at the bearing caps and stuff, so they actually had like machine all this from scratch. Nice. Um, also, there was not an existing Toyo Pet SD gearbox in the world. Oh, just none. None. They had to make one. So There's not Toyota a functioning one. From scratch, had to had build to, a new 70-year-old transmission. They had a case. Okay. And they had drawings. If you scroll down, they have a case and they have drawings. <laughs> and so they had to make it from the drawings. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, so they made that. It's probably significantly better made out of modern materials. Probably, actually, yeah. So, um, actually, sorry. No, they actually had to make the transmission case. It required them to sand cast it. Um, and so they actually did, uh, instead of doing like original style sandcast, they did a 3d print Okay. to make it effectively a sandcast. Sure. Um, it took him three months to Toyota, three months to build the 70 year old gearbox from the ground up. Um, hopefully they made a couple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they actually, funny enough, they, uh, discovered an original one that needed an overhaul as well. So, but they, uh, were so far into making the one from scratch yeah. that they were able to just 
rebuild them. So now I have a spare. Very good. So that's good. So we do have two Toyota yeah, so there's gearboxes. A, there's a new one and a restored one. And uh, so I think at this point, it's in Toyota's best interest just to put them into production. Yeah, that's what I would a, do. There's a huge group of Toyota pet owners, I'm sure, that would like a transmission. I would. If I had one, I'd be like, yeah, does that Even have if, modern... No, uh, this is the sort of thing where I'd build the car around it. If I had... Because it, it's a four-speed manual. It's a tiny four-speed manual. That was insanely tiny for four speeds. Yeah. Wow, okay. Like, do you know how useful that would be? I mean, it must be weak. Real I'm weak. I'm sure, but like, think of like... That would actually be genuinely useful for like Nash Metropolitan stuff. That looked like a magnesium case, too. No, it was aluminum or whatever. Well, even still, like a non-iron case for a transmission in the 40s? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, like that would... There's a lot of small form factor cars of that era in which that four... Because like Model T's and stuff for three speeds... Like, that's a performance Im- improvement. Sure is. Like, you could, to- like, Toyota, like, they could make that in small batches mm-hmm. and actually sell those here. And I think a lot of hot rodders would enjoy that for, it's, like, banger builds. I was going to say, it's the uh, the old school fancy T5 swap. Yeah, basically. Uh, like, <clears throat> yeah, you could, because then you have error correct part mm-hmm. of, like, weird part. Yeah. And, like, no engine that's going to bolt up to that is going to make more than 100 horsepower. So as long as it, it can hold 100 horsepower, you're right. fine. <laughs> But, like, if you think about that, that's, like, Model A builds yeah. and, like, Morris 1000s, Ford Anglias, things like that. Like, yeah. that's actually a really, like, that would be a really good thing for Toyota to make. Any, um, any small old car. I get your point. I think that's a valid point. Yeah. So, the uh, Toyota Pet Model SB uh, was, is they actually used a ladder frame uh, out of the truck version instead of the cab version. I guess the truck version was stiffer okay um yeah, i guess that kind of makes sense yeah so unfortunately they did not have a donor chassis so toyota had to custom build that um i see it that's a hell of a, a jig or a buck whatever you call it that's a jig i guess yeah so wow. nor- today they're made out of their they make ladder frames on a 1000 ton press okay and they obviously didn't have the budget for that to create what? a mold for the create press tooling god no i know right so uh they created a new technique called sequential shift bending um which is actually unique because like toyota by doing this they found they created a new technique to make a ladder frame chassis and this is actually really useful like this is they're creating new techniques that they can use to make cars in the future for right. doing this i think that that's something that a lot of manufacturers don't consider yeah like Subaru would never do this because oh, they, they no. can't. Subaru can't think far enough ahead. But this is something where it's like, okay, let's say you have a there. Let's say like the developing market, they need a small truck. Yeah. Well, you're not going to make enough of these to necessitate making a 1,000 ton press. Right. Yeah. The tooling for a press for a low you, production. Yeah. Level. Like if you're trying to make something that's for like the Argentinian market, like a sequential shift building would actually be worthwhile of doing that so what is sequential shift bending no is it basically clue. just like exhaust tube bending but with frame rails instead so i oh actually it says right here uh it doesn't require mold so instead it uses a 10 ton force as opposed to 1000 uh to slowly bend square pipes little by little oh, and okay. you just shift the fulcrum a little bit each uh... time so it's similar to mandrel bending but instead of doing one fluid motion yeah you're just kind of like mandrel bent here here, yeah. here, yeah. here, and then that makes it a tighter turn. 
Um, that's really interesting. That is very clever. Yeah, so then, yeah, you keep a solid metal bar uh, inserted into the pipe to minimize wrinkling. Wow, that sure does sound like mandrel bending. So this mandrel <laughs> bent uh, the frame. That's really cool. Uh, but, like, really tight corners out of that. Um, but, yeah, so Toyota and Taiho Saiki... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, run that one by me again? Taiho Saiki. Sorry, okay. I uh, was reading that as English, and then I'm like, wait, I need to restart this as Japanese. Uh, they're the manufacturing partnering part. They're the manufacturing company that partnered with Toyota to make this. Okay, uh, they were able to apply uh, patents for that method. Very cool. So that's actually really cool, um, and that's going to be used for other limited run vehicles and classic cars, just as I said. Like, yep. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're only going to make 500 a year, it probably makes yeah, sense it, it, to. And it's uh, this is something where it's you hear you like if you talk to like average dealership like employee they're like well you don't make money on cars if you sell a bajillion of them like no there's small markets where you can take your existing parts and then you can make something that costs very little where you already have the sunk cost of the parts yeah and and you have a very small amount of additional investment to create a larger profit yeah imagine a a factory for that compared to one that has to have this i mean you've seen a thousand ton press they are Insane. They are insane. I mean, but a ten-ton press is yeah. You can get that out of Harbor Freight. Yeah, that's literally just a thing that exists, and yep. now you can make a car out of that. Um, so yeah, once the uh, chassis, once they finished that, they made a skeleton frame on top of that, uh, and then they would rivet the sheet metal to the, the skeleton frame that they made, um, and then they hand beat the bodywork onto it with no filler putty or anything. <laughs> So that's all, what you're seeing there is all hand beat. Like hand beat, not yeah. hand formed. It's like, nope, we, we had to beat that. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, you're hitting it with a hammer to bend this metal down. Oh, that's I how you it. make it happen. This whole car is basically just hitting metal weird. Yeah, that's basically what they did. <laughs> well, that'll be the title of this episode, Hitting Metal Weird. Hitting Metal Weird, that's a good name for an episode. <laughs> um, well, so likely the cabin didn't take anything, because all he had to do is just recreate a seat. So that's fine. Um, the seat frames used wood rather than metal, um, and they used coconut fiber and stuff, polyurethane, uh, and coil springs for the seat. Nice. So it's a sprung coconut fiber seat. That's very ahead of its time. Yeah, and they just attached it directly to the floor pan. Um, I was going to so, say, our CL65 AMG famously had coconut husk. I, well, I think what's what's really interesting about this is the when they were putting this together, this team had never... like. So there is like, you know, per saying and your old Ferraris and stuff. And yeah. in Europe, like there's a precedence for knowing how to make old, you know, old race cars in Japan. They didn't. So in Japan, everything was a little bit different than all the European cars where they're all kind of like kind of like inbred, like the engineers, like one engineer go from Ferrari, work for somebody else, work for Lotus, work for sure. Yeah. Whoever auto union, this one, was literally just people that had just seen race cars and never actually done it. So when uh, Toyota made the seats, they found out that during assembly, the seats slid into, into position. And they didn't need to be bolted in. Like you, you would oh. to ensure that nothing happened during a high G like, maneuver. Right. But they found out that the seats secured themselves. So it was like by a the friction way, fit? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. That, that's how they, they, they found that. And then, you know, they put it together and they actually put a, a, a placing screw in there 
to make sure nothing broke. Um, but uh, they had no photos of the actual upholstery. Okay. And because everything was black and white. And the one car they found, I'm guessing, was not complete enough no. to... And so, uh, no, because like what they had found was like the remnants of one. Oh, so they were okay. like, yes, this did in fact exist. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> they found out from brochures, ads, and ma- magazine articles of the time that the upholstery would have been a reddish-brown vinyl based off of what was available in other Toyotas and basing photos of like those Toyotas in black and white off of the photos they had okay. and seeing what the shade was, it would have been a reddish brown vinyl. That's I love that they're taking like the the gray hue to figure out what color it was. Yeah, have well been. because everybody that was involved with this is not alive anymore and didn't talk to anybody about this. Right. And what like ra- like old race cars were not considered valuable well, and up until like literally the last twenty years. And I was gonna say, I think even in that time, Japan specifically too, like people didn't really value goods once they reached a certain age either. Well yeah, exactly. Like, also you I mean you're rebuilding your nation. Like you right. didn't really have time to like right. like worry about race cars. Um skunk works FTD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so let's see here. I'm I love the photos in this article too. Yeah, no, it's, it's really beautiful. incredible. Uh, I love the, um, the beam axle up front. That's mm-hmm. really awesome. Um, but yeah, so there were, the car did not have seatbelts. The seatbelts that you saw in that were added. So the driver doesn't physically get ejected from the car in a corner. Good. Um, Good. Well, and so then, it looks like it only has rear drum brakes. Probably. Uh, so they had to make the front axle from nothing. Because the front axle is a modified axle for a vehicle that doesn't exist anymore at all. So that wasn't a standard Toyota pet axle. It was a shortened Toyota pet axle. Ah, of course it was. Okay. So just a hot rod style while okay. you shorten the axle. Uh, so they had to create a mold, uh, and they made the mold, and they cast it the metal to make the custom front axle. Um, and actually, if you scroll, yeah, that's them making it. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, hammer forged the beam roughly into a shape of the axle. It, yeah, is an, an incredible amount of work that they had to do to make that. I love that. However, due to the primitive nature of the technique, the team had to create ten. and produce 10 hand-hammered bent beams to account for inconsistencies. I love that. That's so cool. That like They made it exactly as they would back then. That's just so cool to me. Um, the rest of the suspension was just as mysterious. Again, <laughs> no documentation about spring rates existed. Engineers had to estimate values. The only footage of the car running had been filled by NHK back in the day, and it was only 20 seconds long. But by estimating the weight of the car, center gravity, condition of the road, they're able to get a rough idea of how the suspension used to behave. That's what Japanese nostalgia car wrote. That they just like they had to look at how the car operated, and then they. We're able to get do some math to make it go. Okay, went over a bump. It weighs this much and it bounced that okay. much. That's pretty cool that, that they insane. did that. Yeah, oh, um, they uh, also didn't have a mold for the leaf springs at all. So the team not. again had to deviate and produce springs from a modern material. Um, and so they actually used uh, Land Cruiser leaf spring brackets as reference. Um, and the car, yeah. Oh, there it is, yeah. Yeah, no front brakes. Uh, just rear drums because it was a dirt track racer. Um, that's just so cool. Looking that, at this hand-beat body, you wouldn't think that this was a dirt track car. But I guess the era, that was probably a lot more common. Than yeah, well, there, is, um, there was one oval track in Japan. 
Uh, it's called Hanagawa, I think, Speedway. But that was damaged during the war, if I remember correctly. And was never... It was. It became a dirt track. Yeah, kind of a dirt track. It was like... It, this is a, kind of a track. Some of it's dirt, some of it's broken concrete. Now it's rallycross now, great. Basically, yeah. Um, well, I mean, back then you weren't going that fast. Right, like right. You're, you're maybe going like 50 Possibly. Hey, man, I yeah. saw that flathead engine. She's a choocher. Yeah. So, uh... I love the rear end on this. Those little, uh... I don't know. It looks like a stoplight. Yeah. It's got that it's so cool. On. I love that. So... <laughs> it's got five of them. Are you ready for the specs on it? Sure am. All right. So, the records for the original racer indicated that the top speed was 93 miles per hour, 150 kilometers per hour. Damn, that's fast. Um, the team estimated that the recreation could safely go 62 miles per hour. Sounds like they're pussies. Uh-huh. That can go 93. Safely. I, mean, right. I will tell you for a fact that will absolutely go 93 miles oh, an hour. Oh, 100%. Anything yeah, that no. weighs that little and is that aerodynamic? Yeah, no, I just, you're going to die, oh, yeah. but you can. Well, can and should are not, those are not mutually inclusive. The fact that they said safely in that speed rating means that it'll do more. <clears throat> oh, it will. You just. Also, oh, I don't like there's that. There's Mark. Yep. Well, I'm sure he'll listen to the episode to see exactly when that was. At least it's still running. That's well, good. That's good. Can you turn it off and start it again, though? Yeah, it that, has a new that's, starter. That, that's the trick. Actually, no, it has a new starter solenoid from the Diablo VT. The starter is still original. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, starters you can rebuild. Correct. Yep, but it, the motor was fine. I, I'm assuming that you can because it's a Lamborghini. I'm sure it's probably just a The actual rush starter motor. motor is the same as a 240D. Yeah. It's the that's a it's a brush starter motor that was from a 1960s Buick, I'm sure. It only interchanges with the 240D, as far as I could tell. But the forums are a little bit dicey for Lamborghinis, mm. believe mm. it or not. Also, it, it, after the first year, they went to a reduction gear starter, so that's a one year only starter, and most of them have been obsoleted by now. Mm. So. Oh. Cool. That's actually really interesting. I don't yep. know that. That yep. is also probably a good decision to go to a reduction gear. Correct. Except it helps a lot. When I say one year only, I meant in the Mercy, because oh, yeah. that yeah. starter interchanges all the way back to the Mira. And then 2003 and up, Mercy Lagos had a reduction gear starter. So anyway, back um, to the Toyo Yes. <laughs> so after a few <clears throat> shakedown down runs, the team was able to get to go 100 kilometers per hour at Fuji Speedway. Okay. Um... But they're saying, like, also people are risking their lives and just kind of just did what they could. But in Japan, again, like I said, they're pussies. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because to your point, that thing will do 100. Yeah, no, uh, if Ben wants to fly me out to Japan, I'll make that go 100 miles an hour. No question. Yep. Not until after we're married. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. the paperwork <laughs> is settled. Well, that's fine, because there's no way that I can I can get there by before October 13th, so... So we after planning definitely definitely yeah. takes time. Yes, <laughs> um, but I think it's really cool that what they were able to do was take what was really a barn built like 1950s Toyota hot rod and recreate it using because most of the stuff just straight up did not exist. Well, even had they not found most of an original car, so, they probably would have been able to do this just fine. I think I think they found. Uh, see here example maybe okay so sorry i had to look i had to double check this so no there actually were no original surviving examples oh so it is all what they had found was a toyo pet ah 
were the the donor for the transmission. That's what I was mixed up from. So oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, none of the original cars actually existed. But yeah, this is a sick hot rod. I love this. I love that it's factory built too. Like when a company has a department within it, where they're allowed to do this sort of bullshit. Yeah. So if you want to see photos of this, um, either watch our YouTube feed. Um, or go to JapaneseNostalgiaCar.com. Um, this was posted by them uh, at the beginning of the month, September 1st. So you might need to scroll down a little bit, but you'll be able to find it. JNC is really good about keeping things up in perpetuity. I was going to say, you could probably just search Toyota and race car. And well, <laughs> yeah. Toyota's not a lot of good race car. Toyota Pet Racer. Oh, there find, you go. Yeah. Toyota Pet will probably get you the results you're so, looking for. That's my topic. Very I just cool. want to talk about that cool 1950s Japanese hot rod. All right. Yeah, I, I have no hope of ever segueing out of that into my nope, topic. So done. anyway, I want to talk about the new 500E, which is coming to the States, but we still don't have like a hard commitment from Fiat yet. However, in an interview... Speaking of modern versions of 1950s cars... Indeed. There's your segue. Right, I'm better at this. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's correct. I don't segue, okay. I'm so into your topic, I'm like, oh yeah, oh anyway, moving on, but I am very much in the market for the new 500E, so as soon as that actually hits the shores here, it's, I'll, I'll probably get one, I really miss having a small car for it. Yeah, you should roll your other Tesla. At some point I will. Because Elon Musk is not a good person. No, he's a terrible person. Oh. I had he's somebody approach me at Total Wine on Tuesday. He's like, oh, how do you like this thing? I'm like, I would never buy another Tesla, but I love EVs. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You probably bought this before, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. I also didn't care, and I still don't care. But, yeah, anyway, I always tell people when they ask me about the car. I'm They're like, not Never good. buy a Tesla. They're do terrible. Do not do it. Well, yep. you've been telling people this since before you bought your Tesla, mm -hmm. and now you have had a Tesla, mm -hmm. so they can take your word for it. Correct. Even better. Yeah. Even though they should have taken your word for it, but... People now that weird. we actually have good alternative viable product, yeah. it's like, why the hell would you buy a Tesla? Mm -mm. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, so it, you're no. buying it for the name brand, and the name brand is now connected to such a cursed individual, mm -hmm. and he will not let it be separated from himself. Well, of course not. Did you hear it? You turned off Starlink in Crimea as Ukraine was trying to take back their own fucking territory. No. Yeah. Because Elon <laughs> Musk is a terrible individual. <laughs> what a dick. Yeah. No, he's awful. He's an awful, disgusting human being. And it, I guess I'm, I, I'm not surprised at that because this is somebody that benefited from apartheid and then lied about it. And then his dad goes, no, you totally had a, a ruby or an emerald mine when we were kids. And shut up, dad. Yeah, basically <laughs> like, yeah, no, every, yeah. Well, Fuck I sure hope Stellantis hasn't benefited from apartheid. Ryan is thinking. No, they're not Dutch. Okay, so I don't think they would. Anyway, no. Stellantis had an interview they're earlier Italian, this week where it, they were talking Italy about could, Italy could barely handle like <laughs> Ethiopia in the forties. That's why they got their ass kicked so hard in World War Two, because like they previously got their ass kicked by the Ethiopian Empire, like in the thirties. Well, fun fact. <laughs> there's a lot of fun facts about Italy, Italy but yeah. anyway, no, they're barely a functioning country. The, yeah, I, I do like several things about that country. Food is delicious. The mm -hmm. the lack of traffic laws is, is pretty good. Um, but yeah, no, they're not a functioning. No, no. I'm guessing there are a lot of like geopolitical issues there. But oh yeah, well some. also people just yeah, they're just Italian people. Yeah, I've met a few of those. Um, in, in our World War II fact about Italian Fiat tanks, um, they were riveted together. Okay, 
because okay, <laughs> well, bad decisions. Hard. <laughs> and so they're yeah. So the war ministry is like we should weld these, and Fiat said, "No, we're not welding. We're gonna get better quality out of our rivets because we've been riveting things together since forever." And they just like straight up did not want to weld it, and so they fought back and forth, and then they didn't have any tanks. Because they'd make about one a day, and then they'd go on lunch, and their lunch would be an hour and a half. Oh, so it's British Leyland. Sorry, yep. Italian Leyland. And then each of the tank manufacturers, like the actual people that are putting them together, they were all artisan. So they'd fight amongst each other. And I'm sorry, are you saying that Italians coach-built tanks? Yes. That's this is why cool. they lost World War II. <laughs> like, they coach-built, riveted-together tanks. And then by the time they were like, okay, seriously, we need tanks to go, well... Now we want to be the eight here. we have. So. Yeah, we've got eight, and we have enough materials that we can make tiny tanks. Where's the training manual for this? Well, they're all different. So yeah, they're all different. So you have to ask, you have to ask Enzo over there, and he'll tell you. He'll come with you. <laughs> no two were put together the same way. Excellent. It's just like a Ferrari two fifty GTO, but a tank. Literally, like you're not wrong. <laughs> it's so bad. Like. They are not a functioning country. All right, well, yeah, they still gave me. They're still the same way. Oh, oh yeah, and that's endearing. <laughs> no, they are. Like bless them, but there's a reason that nothing that is Italian is owned by Italians anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've proven that they are incapable of running themselves. It's not too far off. Like a lot of parts about England too, though. Like oh yeah, they're really good at doing things with help, mm-hmm. following through on an idea. In fact, that parallels immense. Just <laughs> comparing like Midlands of British Leyland to Italian Leyland to this yeah. Fiat riveted tank shit. Yeah, yeah, they're not good self starters. These countries, <laughs> they're terrible, wow. they're totally bad. Wow. Um, so, speaking of that, I imagine that these batteries are not made in Italy. No, thank God. Yeah, they are made because probably they by a Korean company. No, because if they were made in Italy, they'd be made out of like marble. Correct. And the electrolyte would be wine. Yeah, and yep. they'd have spaghetti for the, uh, <laughs> the wires. Yeah, for the wires. The wires would be actual spaghetti. God, imagine having to do the sauce change. The, the, little, the little plates on the inside would be just like crushed like gnocchi. I want to see somebody pull a drain plug on an Italian car and pasta sauce comes out. <laughs> What's going on here? Why is this so much spaghetti? Huh? But anyway, no. Yeah. Mario, what are you doing? <laughs> Into this interview where they eff- effectively told people in fewer words that the 500 is indeed coming to the States Brilliant. this year. Good. Still, there's not much left in 2023. They had this conversation about battery chemistry and lightening the packs. Hell yeah. And, uh, that needs to be brought up a lot more because really yeah. the only people we've heard that from so far are like Mercedes with the EQS mm-hmm. when they did that long range study and then Hyundai with the Ionic 6. It's like, you need to make the cars lighter and more efficient. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's a push for smaller cars. Yeah. That's a push for efficiency yeah. instead of just brute forcing a 200 kilowatt hour you know, in a Hummer. Exactly. Credit where it's due with Italy. For all their failings as being a functioning country, um, they do the things that other countries aren't able to do, where they make things beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They make things functional. They make them fun. They actually add a spirit to them. And I think it's similar to... Like with like old computers and stuff. Um, so NEC in Japan in like the eighties, they had because Japanese had kanji and it actually required a completely different OS than like normal DOS. Sure. Or like your normal OS's back like basic or something. Mm-hmm. You couldn't program a Japanese computer normally. So actually NEC had to make their own 
operating system in conjunction with Microsoft, mm-hmm. like in 1983. Kind of makes when sense. When Microsoft was literally just like three people and like one Japanese dude. Um, but hey, can I use my language in the computer too? I guess. <laughs> so, but the, the, I think it's it's really interesting because since NEC was able to basically just kind of take over the Japanese computer market, nobody else could really get a, a foothold mm-hmm. there because like up until the late 80s because nobody could make an operating system that could operate with 500 characters. Sure. They'd operate with 32, maybe. And, like, 500 characters, like, genuinely is a memory constraint. Yeah, and the registers were not good on computers in this era. Yeah, so it'd create a big problem. (laughs) Um, And so if you look at, if you look like, the difference between, say, the Apple II and the Apple Lisa and then the Macintosh... Mm -hmm. The Macintosh was actually, like, that was the equivalent of a Ferrari or a Fiat, where they took your, yeah, Fiat, actually. They took your consumer product, and they made it aesthetic, mm-hmm. and they improved the form factor of it. They made it, it desirable. They made yeah, it they actually made it desirable. And that never happened in Japan for the Japanese computer market. You'd have NEC, and you have NEC clones. You never had Macintosh until Microsoft 3.1 came out, and they had a operating system that can now natively just support Japanese language. Sure. At that point, all the American computer manufacturers that had figured out how to make an aesthetically pleasing form factor mm-hmm. just converted it to Japanese and then beat the shit out of the Japanese at their own game. Okay. And that's why Japan, to date, doesn't have the computer adoption that it used to. Because is- it, it didn't have the equivalent sure. of a Fiat or the equivalent of your Ferraris where they actually improve the form factor and they improve the spirit and functionality of the actual machine. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I didn't ever really think about that, but yeah, we think Japan, we think tech, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they really aren't known for compute. No, because actually they have a terrible PC adoption, right? Hmm. They don't have personal computers at home. Like you have phones, you have gaming consoles. That's why every Japanese video game runs great on a PlayStation and terribly on a PC. (laughs) Because they just don't do that. There. Sure. And so, um, yeah, like the rate of PC adoption in 1993 between America and Japan and America in 1993, 25 out of every, I think, 100,000 people had a PC. In Japan? No, in America. Okay. In Japan, it was eight. Oh. Well, that's, that's actually not that far off. It's a third. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but oh, yeah, yes, I understand. And so you could see how right. this would scale up because in 1993... Two years later, you have Windows 95. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, sorry, but in 1993, you still had Windows, yep. the original Windows. 3.0. Yeah, you had original Windows that was out, and you were having the internet adoption. By 1995, we had Windows 95, and you had more accessible internet, where you have just a pretty consistent number of ISPs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was attainable, it, for sure. Yeah, in that 25 out of 100,000 people... It grew exponentially, and when you're growing exponentially from 25 as opposed to exponentially from eight, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's you're forever where, stunted. Yeah, and so to date, Japan's like computer industry is still stunted. That's why you don't see any software companies outside of video game studios, unless they're making robots. They don't really do shit in Japan. That's why Japan has completely fallen on its face culturally, as far as because like in the in the 2000s. Japan was ubiquitous. Like you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Pokemon, without seeing a billion animes, without having all of the things in the world that are Japanese. Yeah. But by twenty, you know, fifteen, there's all Korea. 
It was all China. Uh, chi- yeah, China is a real all, big yeah. PC push now. And so, yeah, to date, Japan's still like losing on several fronts because of that. That's I think, so weird. Yeah, and so and now I'm linking this to EVs. <laughs> that's the fiat effect that you had is like, yeah, once you have somebody that can make, like the, mo- the, the Tesla Model S made the EV Model T. This is your EV that is exists and you can use on a daily basis. Yep. I think Fiat is in a position here with their like lightning batteries and making them affordable Mm -hmm. and like a normal car. That's when you're going to start seeing instead of having your Model T, this is going to be your Model A, this is going to be your Chevy Confederate, this is going to be your Dodge Brothers. Like this is going to be where it blows up. Yeah, I agree because it's going to drive adoption when you're able to cut costs that much. I mean, think of the raw materials when you cut the weight of a battery by 50%. Well, yeah. I mean, and also another thing to think about is um, the weight of the vehicle yeah. is not just like a safety problem. That's a tire. That's tires. Oh, yeah. That's, wearing out, brakes, sus- that's wearing out suspension and brake components. That's just daily livability. That's literally wearing out your driveway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like having a 2,000-pound oh, yeah. car on your driveway does not stress anything. Having Not a, nearly as much as a forty six hundred pound car. Yeah, having, sure. yeah, exactly. Having the Tesla on your driveway, like it, on tarmac where it's like super hot. I also park it in the exact same spot yeah. every day, so there's divots now. Yeah, exactly. That would that's not going to happen with this. Did car. not happen with no, the Fiat. Exactly. So <laughs> that's just those are just like livability things where you they're intangible when you're trying to come up with the desirability of a car, but those little changes are going to be how you have a car like mass adoption of a car mm-hmm. it was gm had all their all their cars in the 1920s they put the gas pedal in the same spot that wasn't ford that did that like that wasn't right. somebody else that was gm that did that yeah, that it started with cadillac didn't it yeah like, it was cadillac and oldsmobile they had their cadillac they had their gas pedal on the right then the clutch on the left and the brake in the center mm-hmm. and that was was mass adopted by Chevy by everything else that they made. LaSalle. This is like the NACS adoption thing. It's like, well, we all have different ways of doing this. That one, let's just use that, I guess. Yeah, that's literally <laughs> it. So yeah, no, this is good. I I like this. This is good for mass market adoption. Well, and then with like lighter batteries, I feel like that makes cars a little bit cheaper. It will absolutely. And like, this article, the interview mainly talks about the ecological benefits of it. But yeah, yeah the too. efficiency and the cost. To your point, because raw materials are the cost. Well, and this is what whenever I was in my environmental classes and people were trying to push evs and this is back when like tesla was the only mass market ev and people were trying to push them i was like one not everyone can afford it correct two like teslas aren't doing things safer or better than regular car manufacturers oh, but it's the safest crash tested car oh. it was like and so like i was being fought by, i guess, like, I guess it's the everyone. safest car when it drives through the wall yeah, and like, like what happens? You'll to the, be in better condition when it crashes. What happens to the dude on the other side of the wall that's trying to take a nap? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> not there. He's the problem. Memorex guy. Okay? Yeah, he's gonna be flung back in his. But seat. it's like people don't understand. Like, yes, you could have every car company in the world put out an EV, mm-hmm. but if they're still adopting the standards that are set right now, n- no one's gonna be able to afford them. Everything is still very much an early adopting territory. But yeah, having a desirable like. sexy car Mm -hmm. that is electric that people can only get in electric is going to do huge thing and make it affordable yes no that's gonna be that was an excellent point janet like 
people can't afford a Tesla. No. Like, a lot of people that own a Model 3, for instance, they sold two cars, and yep. they both contribute to the payment on one vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it, it was a stretch purchase, so you're not really doing the world a favor by buying a super it's, expensive it's like TV. getting up uh, you know back in the 20s and stuff you, you could afford a car mm -hmm. you get a curved dash oldsmobile that was the first mass-produced affordable quote-unquote car in the united states before the mile t happened but they sure. didn't make enough to make it really affordable mm -hmm. but the curved dash oldsmobile that was your model s that was Upscale enough, mm -hmm. but not so upscale that you're getting the equivalent of like a Porsche. You're getting something that's like, you know, a Cadillac equivalent. Right. A, a, something that you can actually get to. Because like Model S base price is like, what, 76? I think when they launched, it was in the high 60s, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, like 76 is like, for most of their life, it was like kind of like, yeah. if you could get $76,000. My like, car after one. options was 83, and it was pretty yeah. close to the base model. So Yeah, mean, so 83. That's... And so, Insane. yeah, and so that'd yeah. be, but that's the All thing is like, <laughs> that's also similar to what a Corvette costs. Mm -hmm. That is the attainable luxury. Yeah. Like it, it's not, it's not that six figure mark where you literally cannot get it. All right. And the mental block associated with it too. Yeah. Even if I feel like, oh so yeah, well it's 92. A Model T was like, you know, 400 bucks when it came out. I don't actually but I'm know. just telling you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm telling you that. But I'm telling you as a fact. <laughs> okay. A curved dash Oldsmobile is about thirty percent more expensive. Sure. At the same time, curved dash Oldsmobile, yeah, technically did things fine at that point in time, but the fact that you could then get a car, which on a daily basis, and the five hundred E will be better to live with mm -hmm. than a Model S. Oh, for sure. That's exactly what your Model T is going to be compared to a curved dash Oldsmobile. Yeah. And so. I think that that's what we're going to see here is we're just going to see another in our move where everybody, you know, in 19, you know, 10, everybody's like, yeah, Oldsmobile, that's how you, that that's the car. This is the future of personal transportation is to get your Oldsmobile. Well, by 1913, nobody cared about it. Right. Like, by 1913, it's, it was all about the Model T. It's the sacrificial lamb yeah. to drive adoption. Yeah, so. yeah you exactly. Just, you have to make things more accessible, and yeah. the Fiat 500 is moving towards that and i feel like the younger people want smaller cars because they look at the big trucks and they laugh at them and i really hope that you are correct in that observation because yeah. i mean i think we'll even talk about this very shortly here but i have seen kind of a shift and you know new new vehicles like yeah. when you notice new stuff on the road as a first model year there's a there's a change in form factor that's slowly well, developing even the so electric suv we saw from mm -hmm. toyota the bz 4x 4x or whatever great name toyota. letters it numbers um <laughs> it is marketed mark marketed, Mar marketed? <laughs> marketed a lot of marquees yeah marketed <laughs> as an suv but it's the size of a crossover mm -hmm. so i'm hoping that is also the trend that because, like, cars, in order to be sustainable and safer, they need to become smaller. Because mm -hmm. we can't get smaller, more affordable cars until we get these big trucks off the road. Correct. And for, I mean, commercial use, fine. I understand. Yeah, there's, commercial there's a, use, whatever. I'm just saying personal use. But, it's yeah, like driving I, to work 40 miles across the city alone in your Dodge Ram is ridiculous. So... and. Being able to get a dually without a special license is insane. And the bumper height mismatches. I mean, the, yeah. those things are insanely dangerous for cars and pedestrians alike. Like, so. yeah. Thanks, anyway. cafe standards. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> just to get you some more kind of context here. 
Um, the curved dash Oldsmobile from 1901 to 1907 had a MSRP of $650, which is okay. equivalent to 22000 or sorry, twenty yeah, about twenty two thousand and twenty twenty two dollars. Mm. Um, but that's the thing is, you have two seats in an engine and headlights. That's a lot of equipment, Ryan. And a tiller. You spoil me. That's literally everything you have. And a tiller. Um, but from between that was in nineteen oh seven and uh, nineteen thirteen when the Model T came out. The Model T came in at the same price actually, but it was an entire family car. Also. There's you have to account for infl- inflation between 1901 to 1907 and 1913. Sure, like what that difference in price would be. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the curb dash Oldsmobile. They made 19,000 of them, and then they made a wow. bajillion, which was huge. Like that was the most, say, the best selling car yeah. in the world up until the Model T. Um, and once they made the Model T, and they could actually make the, they could make. You know, cars that in large quantities. Correct. With yes. with interchangeable parts. And I don't it, know if the Oldsmobile did that too, uh, but I know that was a big thing. Yeah. For them. Well, no, the Oldsmobile they did, but they you could only do model. You can only get curved dash parts with curved dash parts. If you had a uh, Oldsmobile Series Forty, which is their four seater, okay. which cost two thousand dollars. That's a big price premium. If you look at what you get for. Um, it, it, just type in 1912 Osmobile Series 40, and you will see what $2,000 gets you and how that is pretty much just a Model T. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a Model T. Yeah. Yep. That is... So you could see how the Model T basically made that and just shit on them. And they, you could get that for the price of a curved dash Oldsmobile, which is literally just a carriage with an engine. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I would be in the market to spend uh, almost four times. So that's what I'm saying. Like when I'm when I'm saying like a Fiat that can uh, effectively be a car that you can use for a normal price as opposed to two thousand dollars for a car that you can use. Yeah, I want an inflation adjusted. That's a hundred grand easily. I yeah, think. yeah, that is. That's um, I think they actually had the price here on Wikipedia. Well, six fifty was twenty two grand. Yeah, so, yeah, that'd be, yeah, that, 65, yeah, so actually, yeah, no, you're, that's exactly what it'd be, it'd be equivalent, Sheesh. that'd be the, the Fiat 500 electric versus the Model S, <laughs> like, it's almost exactly an equivalent. Damn this uh, metaphor, making yep. insanely good sense. So, uh, speaking of cars, Indeed. have you, I think I've noticed this, and this doesn't have a link or anything, that's but... Right. I've been seeing more newer sedans than I have been crossovers. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. Um, have you been that, noticing that? I, I Yeah. In fact, we actually were just kind of leaning into that a little bit. I, I've noticed a trend towards smaller vehicles. However, yeah, the amount of time I'm following a Camry or a Corolla or a Kia, you know, a Lancia, a Hyundai Elantra, something like that these days, it, it seems to be propagating more than crossovers, which I, I guess like. I don't. I have a been paying too much attention. I just see what the youngins are up to on TikTok. Well, I've I just when I'm driving, I am wondering if I can see through the car in front of me or not. Oh, yeah. And I can do that with sedan. I cannot do that with SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just looking up really quick if I can find some sales numbers here. Um, so Ford did a really great thing, killing all of their sedans then, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's always, Ford's always terrible. So Camry sales, all right, so here, I actually found some sales data here. Okay. This is from last month. All right. Uh, last month, 
Camry sales were off a cliff. They were down 34%. Oof. However, Corolla, Corolla sales were up 36. Accords were up 52%. Damn. Um, Civics were up 133%. Good for you. Wow. Um, good for you. Good for you. Wow. Love that for here. you. Uh, so proud of you. Forte sales were up 13%. Um, I'm just scrolling through here trying gonna, to find some more actual cars. I'm seeing trucks. a lot more green than red. Yes. Does it show crossover data on there too? Yes, and I'm about to get to that. Okay. Kia K5, uh, 0.62. So, all right, so we're seeing like Corollas and stuff. You're seeing like over 30% sales increases, right? And we're seeing the midsize ones mm-hmm. go down. Yes. Yeah. So, smaller cars. Ford S Series truck up 8, 9, 8.5%. But compare that to up 33%. Right. Because yeah. I think in general, car sales is going to be going up. Highlander, negative as... 42%. Oh. Explorer, negative 55%. Wow. Crosstrek, negative 8 I mean, this is also just monthly data, but still. still escape, good. negative 6 Does you make the escape? Somehow. Oh, my God. Apparently. Bronco Sports are up a lot. So I will give give you that. The Bronco Sport was up 148%. Yeah, what's the Ford Bronco? Do they do a hybrid Bronco Sport? No, no. thank okay. God. Uh, no, the normal Ford Bronco is up 4%, but they are consistently uh, outselling. The Ford Bronco outsells the Tundra, the Pilot, the Telluride, the HRV, the Lexus RX, the Forerunner, the Edge, the Sorento, the Maverick, the CX-30, the Palisade. It outsells the, the Maverick? Yep. The Expedition, the Kona, the Odyssey, the NX, the Kia Soul, K5, Seltos, uh, Subaru Ascent, Toyota Corolla Cross, Sienna, uh, MDX, Ridgeline, Mustang, Ranger. Uh, the Other than the F-150, ah, the Bronco is their best-selling vehicle. Good. You can get it with a stick. Yeah. Um, that's really impressive because the... Uh, God, the Maverick is selling extremely well. Yeah, and the Bronco's still outselling that. Wow, good, good, good. good. Um, Although that's a big, big vehicle. Yeah, but so, at least it's a cool, fun, big vehicle, and people are getting it because yeah. not because it's a big vehicle, but because it's a Ford Bronco. Do you know how many? Correct. So Mazda's their CX nine, which is their. They still sell that. Thing? No, that's the new one that came out. That's oh, the one six. Right, six one. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, they've sold two thousand one hundred and six of them. Do you know what the sales were last month? On that vehicle? Yes. 40. No. Do you want to know how much they were down from the month prior? Yes. Uh, Sure. 99.57% down. Do you know how many they sold? I can't do that math, but very, very few. Nine. That seems like a not good... I, you know, it's it's funny. It's almost that it's almost as though everybody said, "Wow, I'd really like an inline six in a sedan," mm-hmm. and they go, "Okay, here's an inline six and a three row crossover." Yep, and nobody wants that. Well, at least we'll stick good donor to your engines. guns. Seriously, like stick to what you're good at. Like <sighs> the swing make a, a six. Mess, man. Yeah, like, like I understand. You could have made a rear wheel drive six. Like. <sighs> Why oh, would you? That would have been why, so cool. Why would you not want to compete it with Genesis and seriously? Like, because nobody's gonna buy an inline six SUV. Nobody buys an SUV gives a shit about anything other than the bottom line. You could just have an upmarket Mazda six called the Millennia. Like Mazda's not Lamborghini. Like no. they're not Maserati. Like the reason people buy the fancy SUVs is they say 
some exotic name like Alfa Romeo on them. Mm-hmm. It, it's, or you make it sexy like Genesis did. Yeah, but which is also exotic because that's an exotic Hyundai. Right. Like, there's no, like, there's no high performance Hyundai. Well, that, like, well, I mean, there's a Genesis, but I mean, like, there's not like. Well, I mean, like the N. What I'm saying is they don't have like the they don't have the Hyundai Veracruz anymore, where sure. they're trying to compete with luxury brands as the Hyundai brand. I got you. And Mazda, they need to learn. Um, and yeah, so all right, I guess I am, I am vindicated in seeing that. Um, Vindicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. vindicated <laughs> that uh, that sedans are up now. And actually, so I'm looking at this data, especially small sedans too. Here's the top selling cars in America right now: the F Series, obviously, Rav Four, CRV. But then you get to Camry, Tacoma, okay, Corolla Accord, Tucson Highlander, Civic. So Civic's back up there mm-hmm. in 10th place. This is becoming, you know, you listen to the news, they lead you to believe that and there's not a single car here. Right. That's all trucks. Yeah. While I'm looking at this, I'm seeing Camrys, Curls, Accords, and Civics. I'm just really happy that there's only one truck in that top 10. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like... Well, there's two. There's, there's the, the, the Taco and the oh. F-10,000. Yeah, but the, still. The Tacoma and then just still below, the it's the Ford Explorer, Subaru Alpac, and, and Mazda 5. Of these... Uh, of these cars, CX-5. the of the top ten cars, the ones that are losing sales are the Highlander and weirdly enough the Camry. Um, but yeah, I was gonna notice. I like, think the Camry that, was still way up in that list. Yeah, yeah well, I think the, the Camry's taking an L because they have an Accord, a new Accord that looks great, and I think that's eating a lot of their sales. Mm-hmm. So uh, and a uh, an important mid-cycle refresh coming soon. Oh, there's a 360 Modena. God, I hate that car. Um, uh, yeah, that's not... Dude, anyone that aspires to own a 360... Come no, uh, 360s... People are like, oh, it's the approachable Ferrari. I'm like, mm, who cares? Yeah, no, you could have the worst Ferrari, or you could have any other car. Yeah, uh, any other car sounding good. Yeah. Mm. That doesn't exist. I, oh. Just, well, I mean, it, it does. Cause You're that's, supposed to have a worse car. Yeah. But this is the thing. When you... Like, why would you want to own the worst possible Ferrari? That's like that's the Mondial curse from like 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Now it isn't the worst Ferrari. Yeah, no, because the 360 is the worst Ferrari. But like, until they come out with their SUV, uh, then that will be the worst Ferrari. 456 is pretty meh, too. But Which one's a 456? I can't he, remember that, that one. blue one that he has, too. It's oh, like, wow, this guy has a collection of garbage. He just bought a manual 599, though. Nice. That's a good decision. That is a very cool car. Yeah, that's cool. All right, anyway, Sorry. let's move on. All right. So, I was reading through Autoblog this morning, just looking for topics. And normally I wouldn't necessarily approach this just because it isn't technically news. But they posed their writers a question, which was, if you had a budget of $18,000 and no uh, additional points for going under that dollar amount, to buy a vehicle yeah. as a non-manual driver to learn and drive manual with, what would you buy? And their answers were actually... Some of them were what you would expect. Yeah, Can but I get what my would? Answer? Yeah, absolutely. I want your answers a first. Five. Yeah, actually, that's a really good one. Because it gives okay. you like. You can get the nicest small. one in the world for eighteen grand too. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's it's small, mm-hmm. but it's also not so small that you learn to drive it in a tiny car, and the clutch on it is just like really forgiving. That's um, actually good and to know. That's like what as somebody who is. Learn, learned 
in a CRX, there's air quotes around it. I technically you learned, learned it and, then you, and then you mastered it in the five. I, I technically learned it in a Saturn view, but a CRX is the one that I was most comfortable in. The clutch snapped so many times that driving manual now makes me so anxious hmm. that no, it's almost impossible for me to do. But the Mazda is something that I can do confidently enough that, like, if somebody absolutely needs me to drive a manual car, I will pick the Mazda 5 out of a lineup because I know I'm not going to absolutely trash the clutch. Sure. And it gives enough pushback to, with it being like. It's, it's communicative. It's, com- yeah, it's that's communicative. It's a big four cylinder, too. So that additional. A lot of torque. Yeah. 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 So it, that's actually that's what I was going to say is you have and a ton of torque. So. It's doesn't isolate a ton of the outside noise too so you instead of having to look at your gauges you can hear the engine and like with the like it engages all the senses which mm-hmm. i think is really important is when you're really learning important. a manual yeah, feedback because if you get all that feedback while you're learning to drive then you can take that feedback and take it to any car like I strongly think that when you learn to drive, you need to learn how to drive in the shittiest car possible. You do, and you need something, like, preferably with a mechanical clutch. And I know that goes yeah. against what you were saying, but, like, that feedback, mm-hmm. that, that teaches you the bite point. Mm-hmm. And then exactly. when you go to another car that doesn't do that, yeah. you still And so, know. like, a mechanical clutch is ideal, but sometimes it's really easy to goof it up. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily, like, as you're teaching somebody to drive, like, a mechanical clutch would be good, but... If somebody's afraid to mess up the clutch, you don't want a mechanical clutch because right. it's going to feel a little scary. And there are plenty of very communicative hydraulic clutches. Yeah. So, I mean. Um, what was their decision by? All right. So, the readers, sorry, the writers, uh, a, a Golf out, all track wagon. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, pretty reasonable at the 1.8 TSI. Somebody picked a Mini. Ugh. I'm just like, no, ah. that's not a good one. And that's a, terrible. And it's a 2016 Mini. No. So, Why? that engine's going to explode. Yeah. And that clutch isn't going to be easy to replace. Yeah. No, that's going to suck. No, my friend Civic Si. Ended All right, up going that's a decision. Mm-hmm. I thought this was really weird. An Xterra Pro Four X. That's actually a really good one. Why? It's similar to the Mazda Five. That's so the Xterra. Even though it looks like it's just a crossover, that's mm-hmm. actually based off of Frontier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you have a very communicative clutch. You have a really good driving position. So the driving position makes it actually easier to learn because you're not having to like like reach all the way down to get the clutch to the floor sure you're like getting there and just it's simple that's fair um and like i said it's a really communicative clutch and it's easy to replace oh definitely so yeah, for service absolutely absolutely xterra pro 4x and yep. i think the xterra is actually a pretty good vehicle to get slept on but no yeah. they're great they're great off-roading too they're fantastic vehicles monster 3 hell yeah Mazda 3s yep. with the, go. with i would go with the sting- i go stinkier older one because with the 2.3 because if like they money shift it yeah. and they just really blow it up you can just get an entire ford fusion driveline for <laughs> 500 bucks well, including a transmission. That's fair, but again, no points for saving money here. Yeah. Like, yeah. why would you not just get the the two five? Well, I'm saying just because to learn and drive with True. that you're gonna if you get right. the cheaper one because maintenance is gonna be something you have to live with. Mm-hmm. And if it's like cool, I spent eighteen thousand dollars and I got this car for, all eighteen thousand dollars for this car for free, and oh. now I have to maintain the eighteen thousand dollars. That car. brings us to our next one, the I Cross Trek. Not do that one because it's all wheel drive. Well, that's, that and like. 
even with rolling changes uh, on those engines, I'm still not entirely convinced. That what is so? What is you what is your choice? My choice is a Mark VI Golf TDI mm-hmm. manual. That's a good one. What were you gonna say, though? Well, I was saying about the Subaru. I think Subarus are very much for experienced manual drivers. Yeah, because it's not, not torque. The clutches are not very communicative. Yeah. They yeah. like they're great suck. manuals if you know how to drive manual. An STI six-speed is a yeah. good transmission. I have That's my answer. Okay, what is your answer, Ryan? Four-cylinder Fox body Mustang. Mm. Okay, why? So the four-cylinder is the Ranger four-cylinder. The Lima. It's surprisingly torquey. It actually, I think the four-cylinder Fox body isn't too far off from the torque you would get from a five-zero of that era. <laughs> Um. So like, amazing. Yeah, you're you're fine. For <laughs> you're talking an NA or an SVO. NA. Okay. A- actual vanilla one. Um, <laughs> you have a good driving position. Okay. Uh, you're able to actually push the clutch all the way in. I know Jana for a fact would be able to push the clutch all the way in on a four cylinder yeah. Fox body most and any Fox body you you could totally fit. Um, but you uh, similar to the Xterra, mm-hmm. the replacing of that clutch because it will need to be replaced. Um, you can access that clutch similar to R31 base model without pulling the engine all the way out. You loosen oh, yeah, the, the mounts, the, you slide it forward a little bit, <laughs> yeah. and then you let out the drive shaft. And pop the, you don't have to pull the transmission all the way out to replace that. So, I do like there's a special place in my heart for cars where you open the hood and you can see all the bell housing bolts. Yep. Like, That's exactly what I, I was thinking about. I do like, like that. Yeah, it, for, and for $18,000, you can get a great Fox body. That's a four-cylinder. You could probably get, like, a Malaise one that's, like, really cool. I wish the four-cylinder E30s were, like, better because those are really easy to work yeah. on, and the clutches are fantastic. But I would never recommend anyone buy a four-cylinder E30. Yeah, that's fair. Um, another good one uh, would be old Camrys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 5SFE Camry. Yep. Yep. Old Camrys would be really good. Um, I learned on my MR2 with that same powertrain. It was great. Yep. Yeah, I think MR2 is yeah. a good one. Yeah. I didn't think about I that. I think yeah. AW11s would be a really good one. I would think I would go with the bigger engine and the later boy, but yeah, it's such a light car. You're probably the, all right. Yeah, but I mean, it's a light car and you. Have, you will feel like, everything for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, like with the engine being right behind you, you have all the feelings of. I've owned a lot of cars that are really good manual. It, it took me a long time to get into a car where the manual is genuinely bad. Yeah, so experience. I have not driven very many cars where the manual is like offensive, but yeah. Yeah. I've so driven a few. Volkswagen's entirely yeah. capable of having an offensive manual. Oh, yeah. That, Especially yeah, the, the older ones. Yeah, yeah Mark II's. Mark II's with Mark II's, unless you put it, you replace every piece of plastic and like rubber in there, mm-hmm. those are offensively bad. Very bad. Vanagon's. Oh, God. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I've any, been thrown in. You know, Euro vans and vanigans to just drive that aren't manual they're, and they're terrifying. So I can't imagine they're offensively bad. This is why yes. I don't want a manual in a diesel pusher RV. Yep, yep. Like yeah. That just needs to be an Allison mm-hmm. and it's going to go do its thing. Yep. Uh, Scott actually gave me his answer earlier. It's an NC Club Miata. Oh. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I get that. Yep. Same clutch as the 124. So and you can also get it for free and nobody cares about it. Yep. I don't know why, man. I really like the NC Club. Because they're bad. No. The clubs are I mean, all Miatas are stupid. Well, yeah. no Miata should cost more than $1,000 for any <laughs> reason. I do have to say, cars that I don't recommend le- teaching yeah. people how to drive manual in is any 80s Honda. 
Yeah, eighty Hondas. Why? Because it's gonna get stolen. No, no, because the cable, the cable the, clutch, the cable oh, okay. clutch, and like one, it feels goofy when you're driving it normally, okay. offensively bad. Yeah, when the bushings two, are worn out, which they will be. Yeah, and then two, if if it's like not a Civic, mm-hmm. it's gonna snap. It's gonna snap into a million pieces, and it's horrifying and terrible and not good. And then your emergency brake is also not going to work so you're just going to have to coast parking brakes are they tend to seize up on those yep oh so you're just gonna have to figure that out with the eg so it's the ef and older problem yeah so you're just gonna have to coast down france hoping that nobody needs you to stop and then um tail it into the chuck e cheese parking lot terrible terrible experience very half-hearted can can you see why i can't drive manual anymore <laughs> another look at the time. <laughs> another awful, terrible, no good, very bad vehicle to learn manual. Very no good, no good day. Yeah, uh, is a uh, any rotary. Oh mm, yeah, yeah. Specifically FCs because FCs like are with absolutely within this price range and look cool as hell. And they have about a hundred pound feet of torque, yeah. and that's all at about th- seven thousand RPM. Like there's just no torque. And all of its way Let's up. Let's just top. say the more common the car, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's probably true. Yeah. There are reasons, like again, like a, a, a large displacement yeah. four cylinder. I think is a pretty yeah. good place to start. Frankly, old Jeeps too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those CJ yeah. Jeeps. Oh, yeah, I was thinking even up to like the XJ with the AX15 mm-hmm. and the four. No, I'm talking but... like like Go Devil, like oh, CJ2A, yeah. oh, like. Yeah. Because they're, they're geared go. so short that you just break the tires loose if you look. Anything with an axle ratio over 4.09 mm-hmm. is yeah. what you should learn on. Because yeah. your odds of killing it, You're not gonna very kill it. low. <laughs> also, I just have to remind everyone, please teach the manual learner in your life uh, how to hill start before they're driving on their own. And somebody has to pull up behind them and push them into the intersection. This might, 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 have, that might have been from experience. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Anyway, Thanks, Darren. <laughs> um, so, I see. I see. Uh, fun fact about Germany. Um, they are now making most gas stations, 80% of which, hmm. install EV charging. Is there a requirement on what type of EV charging? Does it have to be fast charging? It needs or, to be EV charging. Well, yeah, but what if it's like the holiday gas stations here that put a regular 100-volt outlet with EV charging. And no, it it benefits them to have fast charging, I imagine. It does, but I just wonder if I, there has to be a requirement for yeah, what I'm type sure of charging. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But uh, it's funny how many outlets are trying to spin this as a bad thing. I'm like, no. Like, There's no downside to this. Like, Again, they're not getting is... rid of your gas. Like, I mean, it will happen. <laughs> but they're not. that's not what this rule is. What okay. this is, is this is making these businesses solvent mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. We talked about this last episode where you said, you know where most of the revenue in a service station comes from? Yeah. Con- Convenience. Concessions. concessions. Yep. Yeah. So um, this builds into the accessibility that I'm always trying to talk about. I love accessibility and this is accessibility because if you give somebody an electric car and they don't have access to charging, they're not saving the environment. You know, I mean, is supposedly is the goal with EVs. Just scrolling through to see if it mentioned, but it does not. Yeah, because like I'm sure it'll be fast charging. It has to be. I imagine they have other yeah. rules required. There's going that. to have yeah, they're gonna have subsidies like we do here. And in order for like Bucky's to get the subsidy money, it has to be a certain number of fast chargers. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, imagine if you're taking a road trip in an EV right now and it's you can't do odd that. hours. The if 
if the charger is next to a business, if it's open, yeah, you're still like, well, what are the odds that that business even has like a concession? Like, yeah. okay, can I go in and even get a drink of water? Is yeah. there a restroom that's publicly accessible? Yeah. Do you feel safe in the unlit mm-hmm. area where you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's that stuff yeah. needs to change, and th- this is great. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, in general, I think things should be more accessible but like i always think it's silly that people try to push things and then you look at them and they're completely inaccessible inaccessible yeah that word it's like Um, in excess yeah yes like and yeah i'm not gonna like so when i had to drive from um the twin cities to marshall's um, Marshall, Minnesota. Marshall, not Marshall. Minnesota. Not Sorry, Marshalls. Not the, I'm like, which Marshalls? Chance, slow down. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Tell so, us your story. I, yeah. too, feel brain fog today. My, yeah. Um, so when I was having to drive during the pandemic from the Twin Cities to Marshall, um, there's only certain gas stations, and I had to time my drive exactly to make, to make it to these gas stations before they closed because of pandemic hours, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Like, it was... Fun terrifying this is what i imagine driving an ev vehicle is like all the time if you're making large treks and that was like so difficult because when i did and it did happen get pulled over by a cop um i missed a gas station and i went very dangerously it was so close to getting yeah like it was misfiring and stuff oh yeah, before I made it to Marshall. And so, like, right outside of Marshall, there's nothing but farmland. And it was the off-season, so there wouldn't have been anybody to help me. Um, there's and, also very little cell reception there. Yeah, no, no cell reception. It's basically eastern Colorado. Yeah, yeah, and it was terrifying, and it's scary. And I imagine that's what it's like driving an EV through most of the country. Like, I mean, Germany has 90,000 charging stations, yeah. and Germany is the size of I'm saying if like, we did that in like the United, like the oh, push Montana. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, big. <laughs> like, no, no, they're the size of Ohio. Yeah, Ugh. I'm saying yeah. just the push for doing yeah. this globally. Like, yeah, no, this is good. I think everybody should adopt this. It's as well. like, I don't see why people can argue against it because why would you want to put somebody in that compromising position? You already have all the necessities that a driver needs for a road trip mm-hmm. there, you already have a body there so you have somebody to tell when there's an issue you have lit canopies yep yeah Yeah, that makes sense anyway let's talk about other german things very good so bmw i know i know Mm. lately i don't even Mm. want to talk about these guys however Mm. back in the 60s and in the 80s they had two very pivotal gambles yes the first one was the e10 so the 2002 the 1600 yeah that was actually driven by like the new a concept called the Neue Klasse, yeah. which is the new design school. That really put BMW on the map. Before that car, they were making just random bullshit that nobody Control really cared T, about. Control T, BMW 700. <laughs> this is the car that they were making when the new class came out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, look at this one. It's all done up in M livery. <laughs> they were cool, but they weren't... You can obviously tell that this is not a powerhouse you're not gonna be conquering the world it's really cute though the front end and this one's got like later kidney girls put on it this thing is just a bastard yeah uh it is a cute car but can you look at one that's not this one can you look at how about that red one that's a good one there you go uh open it and you know let's see hey there you go perfect yeah so yeah that's a much better one this is what they look like but you can tell that this and then immediately the next year they made the 2000 or the 1602 
Well, 1600, then 1602, then Whatever. 2002. Yeah. yeah. They made the 1600 immediately after this one. Yeah. There is a 30-year difference in design language yep. there. And I went from making a Corvair to making a Civic. And then after yeah. the 2002, we got the E21, which derailed BMW. That car sold horribly. Which and is because it was bad. The E30 yep. bailed them out. Yeah. So that was another pivotal turning point. And hopefully this is it. Because I think what you're seeing right now with BMW is they are taking what was eventually, essentially the great-great-grandchild of the E30 mm-hmm. is what they're making right now. And they've pushed it far too long past its prime. Yeah. And the, the gamble they've made with this last set of designed chassis, the Jeep yeah. chassis BMWs, is not paying off. No, it's a... Not the, in the States anyway. The, this is a uh, Control-T Dodge Murata. If you look that up real quick. Um, M-I-R-A-D-A. Whatever. Not Miranda. Murata. Uh, images? Not for sale. You don't want to buy one. I did not put an N in there. Uh, there you go. Uh, new image and tab. Uh, that God, why is that such a well? Whatever you see, actually, there's no change in what the car looks like. Yep, uh, that's what that's a Dodge Murata. Like, I don't like that. The Dodge Murata was the kind of last gasp of making a, a what started as the Dodge Dart in the '60s, where it was just you know muscle car. It was a small car with a V8 in it. That form factor wasn't going to work anymore in 1983. No, it was a car for a world that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. And you know what the current 3 Series is? A car made is, for a world that doesn't exist it anymore. It is a Dodge Murata. Oh. Yep. And this is actually great looking. I think this looks fantastic. It is electric. It's four doors, which I love. It's BMW, which I used to like. So if they can bring this to market and it looks like that, I might just buy that. I don't know. I'd still get the Fiat. I, lo- I love the Hoffmeister kink on it. I love mm-hmm. the panoramic roof. I love the split window. I just like, like this, this is really cool. Scalloped like rocker area. This is brilliant looking. It's yeah. it's, it's a nice looking vehicle. The and interior the, is a little. And the grill there, isn't but. disgusting. Right. Cancer, yeah. So. Yeah. The, the rear recorder is interesting. I, mean, I like how they uh, actually have the new class of um, taillights mm-hmm. that they implemented. That yep. looks really good. It's a, it's a lot of the the callbacks, which yep. I really like. Uh, windows remind me of a Z1 almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that lower component. Mm-hmm. That's, and it's, then yeah, you have the Hoffmeister kink. It has a lot of design elements that were clearly thought about. But BMW did this to us. I don't know, maybe about ten years ago now, where they had like, oh, maybe we should bring back the 2002, and it looked just like this, and you know, they did not make it. You know who was working back then? Who? My least favorite designer ever. That people, Chris, Christopher Bangle. Fucking hate that guy. <laughs> Why do people like? I genuinely. Don't understand why he's so lauded as a designer. He took risks and they did not pay off. Oh my god! Ugh. And it's like yeah. it, he's literally like I can't even think of somebody I hate that much. Doug Demiro? No, no, because Doug Demiro is a different kind of hatred. <laughs> um, like no, like Doug Demiro, like he's just he's just a fraud. But like Chris Bangle is just like everybody. Everybody loves him, but he's genuinely not talented. John Mayer. He's the John oh Mayer God. of car design. Like, John Mayer is a totally mid-musician. Like, this why? This is, like, the weirdest He doesn't need to be as big but... as he is. And for some reason, everybody really loves Chris Bangle for no reason. So The E65 alone was enough for me to not like Bangle. 
the later products that were brought out with his design school where he wasn't given full reign to screw it up quite as hard i'm not offended by but he is it didn't age well but that's the thing is that's not a good designer right a good designer is Giorgetto Giugiaro, mm. where you leave him to his to his own devices, and he gives you the DeLorean, the Jetta, the Daewoo Lanos. Literally everything that yeah. looks good. Everything that you've probably liked Giugiaro. in the last 40 years he's yeah. made. Yeah, that's a good designer. The amount of times on this show we've come up with something, oh, that car looks great, and you look it up, and it's like, oh, designed yep. by Giugiaro. Yep. Giugiaro. Giugiaro! It's everything by him. As you see something, you go, huh, what's going on there? You look at it, and he goes, oh, it's Bangle. It's mm. terrible. Everything makes this bad. The Z4 is objectively worse looking than a Z3. Well, you cannot look at those two and say, yes, the Z4 looks better. Because you're lying to yourself. Correct. Like, he's a terrible designer. Anyway, I'm going to leave my episode on that, that Chris Bangle sucks. That's fine. Okay. I, I have no rebuttal for that. I think yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's anyway, right, Thank bye. you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.